Thank you very much, Mary. We're going to uh, start by reading Psalm 46. Psalm 46. This isn't uh, the passage I'm preaching. This isn't a sermon on Psalm 46. But uh, it's a good place for our study to start tonight. notice as we read it this psalm falls into two halves first of all dealing with natural disasters and then secondly dealing with conflicts but it starts off God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea though its waters roar and be troubled though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made the desolations, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. (coughs) (coughs) Psalm 46 is a wonderful psalm of comfort. It was possibly written by, as it says there in the introduction, by one of the sons of Korah, one of the priests, during the time of the invasion of the Assyrian armies into the land of Israel and Judah. And when they camped around the nation of Israel's capital, Jerusalem. Sennacherib was the commander and uh, it looked like Jerusalem would fall under siege. And uh, at this time, King Hezekiah took the request of the, the, uh, the king to God in prayer and said, look what he's saying about you, calling us to surrender. And uh, the Lord mightily delivered the people of Israel. And many people believe this psalm was written at that time because it says that God is in the midst of her in verse 5 and then later on it says that God brings wars to cease at the end of verse 9. It's a tremendous hymn uh, of praise to the Lord. Martin Luther wrote his own hymn uh, from it called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. And every time Martin Luther faced difficulties, he would say this to his family, let us sing or let us read Psalm 46 and then let the devil do what he likes. That was his response. He said, for the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. And it was a great source of comfort 
to him as it is to us. George Campbell Morgan, the great Bible teacher, said Psalm 46, 47 and 48 go together as a trio. Psalm 46 gives us God as a refuge. Psalm 47 gives us God as a ruler, sovereign. And Psalm 48 gives us God as a resource. And what a blessing those three things are. And what a comfort to us at this time of the Ukraine crisis to be able to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 46 and see words like that in verse 9. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. This war which began on the 24th of February 2022 when uh, President Putin of Russia invaded the country of Ukraine. This war, at the time of my speaking now, and it's necessary for me to say this because someone may listen to this later on, say, well, he's got his facts wrong on something that's happened. But at the time of it speaking now, uh, on the 20th of March in 2022, this war is still raging. And this war uh, is an abomination to just about everybody in the world except the Russian leader and many of his people. Uh, and I want to say I believe it's an abomination to the Lord God as well. You know, God hates war because war came from Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. It was a part of the consequence of Adam eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which God had warned him not to eat, that there would be war in the world. In fact, what was the first crime committed after he and Eve ate the fruit? It was when his own son Cain killed his other son Abel, and war began, but even in his own family. And God hates war. Even though the Bible admits in Ecclesiastes 3.8 that there is a time for war and a time for peace. And there is a time, sometimes we have to stand up and fight. Even so, the Bible looks forward to a day when God will make all wars to cease and all nations to know that he is God and he rules exalted over the earth. And his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, as he's called in Isaiah, will reign over this earth. And we're looking forward to that great day. But in the meantime, the Bible tells us that conflicts will continue in the earth. Daniel 9.26 tells us such a thing. And the Ukraine crisis at this time is very much such a conflict. One of the wars which uh, we have to see in our day. And as we're all upset and, uh, and disturbed about this war, many of us are listening constantly to the news reports on our television, on our radio, or for like me, on, on uh, Alexa, or looking on our phones, and we're constantly hearing what's been happening, what's happened today, what's the latest in this war. Well, I want to say tonight, I believe the church has a voice to speak into this because we have the prophetic word of God to speak into it. And as they used to say in the Old Testament in the days of Elisha, is there not a word from the Lord? Is there a prophet in the land of Israel? And they used to turn to God for God's view on the matter. Well, that's what I think we should do at a serious time like this for us as well. And I want us to hear tonight uh, some things from the Bible, which I hope will help us to view the Ukraine crisis from a biblical perspective. We get it from the BBC's perspective all the time. 
Let's get it from God's perspective, from the Bible. And I want to share with you a number of things tonight. We're going to be going around different scriptures, so I hope you don't mind looking things up in your Bible, that I hope will help you uh, see this conflict uh, through a biblical lens. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is still in the Psalms, and I want you to look at Psalm 120 with me as we consider the source of this conflict. Psalm 120, as we consider the source of this conflict. Psalm 120 is a psalm of the ascent, which means it's one of the pilgrim psalms that the Christians, not the Christians, (laughs) the Old Testament Jews used to sing when they went up to Jerusalem for the feasts of the Lord from anywhere outside of Jerusalem, which could be anywhere in the world. And uh, Jews to this day still say, next year in Jerusalem, we hope next year to go to Jerusalem for Passover, and they will come up to Jerusalem. And as you go to Jerusalem, you ascend. It's it's going up onto a hill. Jerusalem is in the hills, even as this this series of Psalms uh, points out. But this is the first of those Psalms, and we see a traveller coming from a far distance to come to Jerusalem to worship. But as he comes, he's not coming in peace. He's coming in distress. In fact, that's how the psalm begins. Verse 1, In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now when I read this, this psalm strikes me as if it could have been written really for the Ukraine crisis right now. The pilgrim is coming Uh, from a place of conflict and if you look at it this psalm in the first half in the verses one to four he's in great distress because he says a deceitful lying tongue is speaking against him and a lying person is making up a motivation for war he says deliver my soul O lord from lying lips in verse two and from a deceitful tongue and he prays that god will judge this person uh, who's making malicious uh, comments against him as a pretext for war with verse four the sharp arrows of the warrior uh, with coals of the broom tree. The broom tree, the juniper tree, was a tree that burnt, had wood that burnt long. So uh, it would be a, a long, painful thing if they were burnt with trees uh, from the juniper tree and uh, they came into uh, a suffering as a result of these being used in war against them. Sharp arrows and coals of the juniper tree. And he is in a situation where he has lies told against him against as a pretext for war. That reminds me very much of what we've seen happen with the situation in Ukraine, doesn't it? How before this war happened, President Putin was making lying accusations against the people of Ukraine. And uh, it was his motivation, uh, therefore, to come in to the land, very much like in the same way Hitler did the same thing with Austria and Czechoslovakia before he invaded uh, the beginning of World War II. But you'll notice verse 5, the complaint of the pilgrim, he says, Woe is me 
that I dwell in Meshach. Now this is where it does get really uh, interesting in our context because Meshach, anybody know where Meshach is? Meshach is the biblical name for Moscow. If you look at the conservative, not the nutcases, but the conservative evangelical commentators, the men like Derek Kidner, if you, in our own day, and if you look in uh, more classical uh, commentators uh, from the past as well, they will tell you that Meshach is, from the, uh, is where we get the name Mosky or Moscow from. And we're going to see this connected in the Ezekiel prophecy that we're looking at again later on. And uh, Meshach is an ancient name for Moscow. And this man dwells in Moscow. In Moscow. <laughs> he dwells in, in... Now, Moscow wasn't called Moscow, I don't think, before 1918, uh, after the revolution. But it was the Moscovy. That's what they were called. And uh, he dwells in the far north. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that he actually lived in the town of Moscow, but he lives in the region over which Moscow has influence. But he speaks, seems to speak not only for himself, he seems to speak for others as well, because he says that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Now, if Moscow is in the north, Kedar is in the south. He can't live in both at once unless he's got two houses. And Kedar is down among the Arab nations. In fact, Kedar is very interesting. In Genesis 25, Kedar is one of the sons of Abraham. And the Muslims claim Kedar is their link to Abraham and is their legal right to the promised land. So what you have is Moscow and the Muslims in this verse. And this man is saying, I dwell in a place where there's no peace. And you look at those two people groups in the world today, just as it was way back then, and they are people who are very often warmongering. And he says, my soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And that's been the history uh, of this conflict and how President Putin has wanted war. And this tells us that the source of this conflict has a human source to it. Now, it has two sources. It doesn't have just one source. It has a human source. It also has a spiritual source. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there's a human source to this conflict, just as this man was feeling it in Psalm 120. And that is the troublemakers in Moscow who want war. James chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. James 4 is telling us that human beings wage war because they want something. And I want to tell you that is true with the situation wherein President Putin wants that land of Ukraine and therefore he is willing to go to war uh, 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 to get it. And uh, this does seem to be one of the troublemaking nations in the history of the world. As you look back over the history of Russia and you see 
their history as an ancient people, very often they have been a warmongering people. Even if you look at the Scythians, way back in the earliest days, uh, uh, we talk about Scythians in the Bible and so on. They are people who very often have a warmongering spirit, at least among their leadership. I want to just would make one qualification. I'm not saying all Russians are like this, but uh, as a, a nation, it seems that their leadership has very much been this way. So there is a human source to this war. And uh, what that means is this, as long as that human source is strong and active, there will be a conflict. And Russia is going to be a troublemaking nation, I believe, uh, for quite a time yet, according to the scriptures. But there's not only that source for the war, there's a spiritual source as well. If you just turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is speaking uh, in the, to the church in Ephesus about the need for putting on the armour of God, he tells us why they need to be dressed in heavenly armour. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And what he's saying to the church at Ephesus is, look, you are in a struggle with people who are persecuting you. There are Romans who are persecuting you because you won't bow to Caesar. There are people in Ephesus who are persecuting you. But he said, what you've got to see is your battle is not against flesh and blood. There's somebody who's behind them, who's pulling their strings. And it's the devil. That's what it is in short. What the Bible calls here principalities and powers. Rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, one of the things the Bible teaches is that there are angelic powers of a negative sort as well as the holy angels. There are unholy angels, the devil's uh, uh, cohorts who have powers over nations. If you want to read extensively about this, we haven't got time to look at this tonight, but when you get home, read Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel chapter 10, you'll read that the prophet Daniel was praying for his people Israel. He was praying through some prophecies that God had given him. And he was praying for God to give him an answer. And an angel appeared to him. Angel Gabriel. And he said, I wanted to come to you. He said, but I was in battle against the prince of the power of Persia. And he withstood me for three weeks. And there was a battle in the heavenly places before this angel could come. And the prince of the power of Persia was the the demonic power that had its hand over Persia. And that was all very relevant because the prophecy that was going to be given to Daniel was of the prophets, was prophecies of the kings of Persia and the kings of Greece. And it was showing what was going to happen in history. In fact, it's one of the most amazing prophecies. Daniel chapter 11, uh, in accuracy, non-Christians have to say that the only way that could be true is if it was written after the event. But we know it wasn't. It was written before the event. But... It was a spiritual power that was behind all the activity there. And this is something that we must grasp even in this conflict uh, in the Ukraine. There is a power working behind the scenes and behind the S-E-E-N, behind the scene. 
there is a devil as well. When uh, the, our children were growing up, we had remote control cars. I expect you've had them in your families or, or grown up with uh, brothers and sisters who had them as well. And you know you have uh, uh, some buttons that you can press and this little thing on the other side of the room will do whatever you tell it to do. It's amazing. And yet you can't see any visible line between it. There's no wire. There's no stick. It's just an invisible power that's moving that car on the floor. Well, that's like the devil working in this world. And I want to tell you, somebody is pulling President Putin's strings. And we need to remember that. He is guilty by his own account. We've seen that. There is a, is, in Psalm 120, there is a human source to this conflict. But if we don't take on board the fact that there is a spiritual conflict, uh, there is a spiritual source as well, we will be missing the mark in our understanding of this. And we'll be missing the mark in our prayers as well. So as we think about this, as we watch this on the news, let us bear in mind there is uh, in the world spiritual forces at work that are using these conflicts for their ends and working to bring things about and if we want to pray about it we need to pray that lord will you please not only stop the people will you please hold back the evil one pray that god restrains the evil one that's a a, a prayer from the book of jude uh, so pray that the lord intervenes in this way so that's the first thing to grasp the source of this conflict the second thing i want to draw your attention to is the sign of this conflict and here we need to turn in our bibles to the words of the lord jesus in matthew chapter 24 matthew chapter 24 matthew chapter 24 verse 3 Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars And rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus Christ is asked by his disciples what will be the sign of his coming again. He's just said that, he's going, that the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed and they uh, associate that with the end of the world and with the coming again of the Messiah. So they ask, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age and the lord jesus gives us in this passage and further some signs of his coming again this is what we call uh, the olivet discourse because it was given on the mount of olives and you'll see the first signs that the lord jesus gives in verse 4 uh, is against deception verse 5 against false christs and then in verse 6 
the sign of wars. He says, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. You know, rumours of wars is sabre-rattling. It's when you hear people potentially threatening of conflicts, like we see perhaps with North Korea threatening against South Korea or China against Taiwan and things like that. That's rumours of wars. Is it going to happen? I hope it doesn't, but it looks a, a very real possibility. We could have something like that. But Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. And this is one of the signs that he is going to come again. Verse 7 says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The word nation in the Greek there is the word ethnos. And it's an ethnic group. And what we have out in the Ukraine crisis is ethnic groups fighting each other. And uh, it's a, a very serious sign of the Lord Jesus coming. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, there's always been wars. And that's true. There have always been wars ever since the, the, the days of uh, Cain and Abel, as I've said. But the difference is, in the last century, we saw, for the first time, world wars. And that was the first time, last century, that that phrase was ever used, World War I. It was a turning point, 1914. And then we had World War II, and everybody is on edge with this conflict. Will it be World War III? We pray and hope that it won't. But that is the, the danger. And wars are definitely escalating. And when you put it with all the other signs that Jesus mentions here, all happening at the same time, that then definitely becomes a red flag for the sign of his coming. However, we have to be careful. It is not a sign of the end of the world. You often hear people say this, but look what Jesus said. Don't get it from me, get it from the Lord Jesus in verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So it's not the end yet. It's not a sign that the end is here, but it's a sign that the end is near. And when we see these things, it's a mile marker towards the end. In fact, uh, uh, it's put with these earthquakes here uh, in, in verse 7. And then it says in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, and the, the phrase beginning of sorrows means uh, the, the birth pains for the coming of the Lord. You know, I heard a dear brother uh, on one occasion, and he was talking about this passage of scripture. And he got himself a bit tongue-tied, but what he said was absolutely amazing. He said, all these things are the birthquakes. <laughs> now, he meant to say earthquakes, but he said birthquakes. And do you know what? I'm sure that was meant to be said so I could hear it, because that is absolutely brilliant. You know, there's a parallel between earthquakes and birth pangs. You know how earthquakes begin? You have a rumble, and then it stops. And then you have a rumble, you have a, a minor tremor, and then they begin to increase, and then wham comes the big one, and the baby and the earthquake is happening. Well, you have the same thing with birth pains. Birth pains increase, it gets more and more intense as time goes on, and then it comes to the baby being delivered. And we need to see that this war 
And when you see Jesus puts it with earthquakes and pestilences, pestilences would be things like COVID, a plague, you cannot say that we are not seeing the signs of the times happening right now in our world. We have had a global pandemic. We now have a major war. What does it tell us? It's a sign the Lord is coming sooner. All right? doesn't mean he's coming this time next week, but it means he's coming sooner. Of course, the rapture, I believe, could happen at any time, but his coming to reign on earth can come only at the end of the series of events that is prophesied. And we need to take that on board. You know, Johnny Cash used to have a song that he sang which said, Matthew 24 is knocking on your door. And I love that. You know, that's exactly what's happening right now. Matthew 24 is knocking on the world's door and it's saying, the Lord is coming. This Ukraine crisis is the Lord saying, I'm coming. And so each one of us needs to be prepared, ready for the meeting of our God with us and prepare to meet your God, as Amos said. I wonder, do you know the Lord Jesus as your saviour? Have you been born again? Have you trusted in Christ? If you haven't, you need to turn to him and be saved because the signs say the Lord is coming and the Ukraine crisis is one of those signs for sure. The third thing we can see about the Ukraine crisis from a biblical perspective is something I'm going to call the speculation of this conflict. Let's turn our Bibles now to the book of Revelation in chapter 13. Revelation in chapter 13. And uh, I've just chosen a couple of verses out of this chapter. The whole chapter is, is um, quite involved. So I don't want to get stuck trying to expound all of it. But verse 3 and 4 says this. John the Apostle speaking in a vision he's given from the Lord Jesus of things that are going to happen in the future. And he said, and I saw one of his heads, this is a a particular monster in his vision, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. This prophecy is about the rise of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is Satan's superman in the last days. He's going to be the last Caesar, the last Hitler, the world dictator who will lead the world uh, in deception uh, against the Lord Jesus Christ at the Battle of Armageddon uh, at his return. And he's a, a very serious character in the plan of Bible prophecy, especially mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2 and in Revelation uh, 6 and 13. Now, the Bible tells us that he is going to rise in the earth. And I believe there's every generation has to have a potential person for this man to be there. Now, lots of people have said, well, you know, they thought Napoleon was the Antichrist. And I think they were right to. The, the name Napoleon means Apollyon, destroyer. 
And he was a man who was conquering the world and he looked very much like the Antichrist in his day. If you ask me, Satan had his man ready in case it was the end times. See, only the Lord knows the day or the hour. Only he knows where the end is. Satan doesn't know. So Satan has to be ready all the time with a potential candidate to fulfill his role. And I believe this Ukraine crisis could produce possibly a candidate. Now, this is speculation, and I want you to underline that in your, in your thinking. But I believe it is. I want to ask you this question, all right? Who is going to be the winner of this conflict? Now, you say, well, we don't know. It hasn't ended yet. I disagree. I think the winner is already clear. Even if President Putin conquers Ukraine... The man who has won is Vladimir Zelensky. If you think about it, the world has fallen in love with this politician. And that's actually a very strange thing to happen. Because the world doesn't trust politicians. When we were at a a meeting in London for the Prophetic Witness some time ago, a friend of mine popped out to go to a a news agent to get something for lunch and he came back chuckling and he said, I've just seen a sign, because this was near Westminster, I've just seen a sign on the news agent's door, only two politicians allowed in at once. (laughs) Now we used to see that in our school, you know, only two schoolboys allowed in at once. People don't trust politicians and yet people love this guy. He's not an average politician. He was a comedian and an actor beforehand. And yet now he is highly respected. In fact, have you noticed, he is speaking to world governments. And they all applaud him. First time anybody outside spoken to the British government, spoken to the American Senate, spoken to Canada. And let's ask this question. Who could make war against him? President Putin, the mightiest army in the world, the mightiest nation in the world, has not been able to easily defeat Ukraine. You know, once Putin was heard to say that he could invade and take over Kiev in two days, well, he's been found to be wrong. Who could make war against this man? And yet this man, who is part Jewish, which would be a fulfilment of one of the requirements of the Antichrist, is also able to say, I'm a man of peace. Now, I am not saying he's the Antichrist, but I believe Christians should always have their eyes open as they're watching what's going on in the world and be aware. Please do not go away from this and say, John Eichen said Zelensky said, I did not. I did not. But you have to be, if you're you're going to know Bible prophecy, you need to keep your wits about you for what's going on in the world. Because Bible prophecy is there to make us watchful and ready for the things of the end times. Let me ask you, every year Time magazine has a man of the year or person of the year on their cover. Who's going to be the person of the year this year? Yeah, we already know the answer, don't we? The verdict's already in. It's going to be this guy. So is that how the Antichrist is going to rise to power? We will have to wait and see. Again, I didn't say he was. But let's be aware. 
You say, well, what does that mean then we should do? Should, should we help Ukraine? Should we not help Ukraine? Because what if he is? <laughs> it's a dilemma, isn't it? Now listen, we don't need to go around worrying about it now. All right? Because it's not clear yet. The Bible will make it, it'll become clear at the time we need to know it. But what I'd say is this. Be supportive, but be sensible. Be supportive of Ukraine. Be supportive of Zelensky. But be sensible. Don't get swept along in a tidal wave, a fan mania, as the world will probably do. Keep your wits about you and be speculative. See this conflict through the eyes of a biblical perspective. Let's see a, a fourth thing. And that is the stepping stone of this conflict. And this is where we're going to turn to Ezekiel 39. Now, we read Ezekiel 38 a little earlier because I wanted to give you uh, the full-blown account of this. But in Ezekiel 39, we have a, a briefer repeat of the same situation we read about earlier. Ezekiel 39. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog, and on those who live in security in the coastlands, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name any more. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a fascinating uh, pair of chapters that predict a war against the land of Israel from a leader who comes from the far north. In fact, he is called Gog, which is probably a spiritual name. Um, the word Gog means great one. You might remember in the Old Testament there was a giant called Og, king of Bashan. And uh, he was one of the giants that the, the Jewish people had to defeat when they came into the promised land. And uh, it means a great one. And Gog comes from the land of Magog. He, Magog is his land. It's basically the land of the great one. But that's his spiritual name. His real title is this in verse 2. Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now, Rosh is the Hebrew word for head. We have head teacher, Rosh Shavar. Rosh Hashanah, head of the month, the beginning of the month. But here it's not used in terms as a head, it's used as a title for a place, the prince of Rosh. And again, many conservative scholars, and I'm going to quote names like Gesenius, John Gill, Matthew Henry, and others, 
who are conservative evangelical scholars of history, have all identified or recognized that this is uh, a name which has been used by Bible commentators that they knew historically in the past as Russia. Rosh is where we get Russia from uh, in biblical terms. Meshach, as I've already said to you earlier, was the name of Moscow. And Tubal is where we get Tobolsk from. You say, where's Tobolsk? Tobolsk is the capital of the other part of Russia, like Moscow is of the western, uh, Tobolsk is of the eastern, the Asian part of Russia. It's at the end of the river Tubal, and it's where the last Tsar was killed. Um, and this man is the prince of Russia, Meshach and Tubal. He commands that great landmass. And what we're told here is that one day in the last days, and you'll remember that phrase kept coming up in chapter 38, God is going to bring him in a conflict against the land of Israel. In verse 2, he says, I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. In fact, if you want proof of that, put your finger on the map of Israel and just trace it to the far north as high as you can get. And where do you get? Russia and actually to Moscow. So it's very clear and easy to work out who this is. But God says he's going to bring them against the land of Israel. Now this is a conflict which has no fulfilment in history. And therefore you either spiritualize it away and say, oh, it's just a picture of the church struggling in the world, which is what some people do. Or you say, actually, no, the Bible is a Bible, that is a book, that is prophecies which will be fulfilled just like the virgin birth was a real prophecy and it has a real fulfillment uh, as we see. Isaiah 53 was a real prophecy and it had a real fulfillment. And if you see that, then you see that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a real prophecy that one day Russia is going to attack Israel. And what I want to say is this. This prophecy hasn't happened yet. Most Bible scholars believe it's an end times prophecy and Many, like myself, not all, but many would say it happens before the time known as the Great Tribulation or in the Great Tribulation, uh, the seven years leading up to the second coming of Christ. The point I want to make is this current crisis is a stepping stone towards this battle being fulfilled. Because what we see here is Russia is now reaching out again, trying to grab land, trying to take resources trying to build uh, her strength again. You know, in 2007, uh, a Russian submarine even took a canister and a flag of Russia and dropped it on the Arctic Ocean, as if to say, we bags this. And they bagged Crimea, annexed Crimea, Crimea. And they would very much like to take the land of Israel. That would give them a corridor down to Africa, it would open up resources, it would give them a hot water port onto the land and onto the Mediterranean, and would also help them in their uh, relationships with their Arab allies. Remember, we read in Psalm 120, Meshech and Kedar, it builds the bridge between them. And Russian arms trade is done mostly with the Arabs, and Syria in particular is their ally. And uh, this would help them very much 
towards that end. And what is interesting is, in verse 2, it seems like Russia is fighting a battle somewhere else and then turns around and comes to attack Israel. I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Now, we don't know when this will be fulfilled, but is it possible that it will come out of this conflict we're in now? It's a stretch, but it's not impossible. And it's certainly a stepping stone towards that coming about. By the way, that verse 2 is very interesting. It says, I'll bring you against the mountains of Israel. Do you realise before the Yom Yom Kippur, not the Yom Kippur, the Six-Day War in 1967, Israel did not have possession of the mountains of Israel and therefore this prophecy couldn't have been fulfilled before 1967. That's how, again, when we look at the details, we can say, we're in the end times. This is, this is the stuff that makes it real. <laughs> you know, it is, Israel is back in the land after 1948, and Russia was actually the first one to vote for Israel to go back in the land, strangely enough, in the 1948 UN vote. And Israel now has the mountains of Israel. But when she comes against Israel, she's in for a shock. She may think that she has... Uh, the ability to easily conquer and take her. But God is going to fight for Israel. Verse 3 says, Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. And you shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. And he goes on. And uh, God says he is going to defeat Russia when she comes against the land of Israel. Now, there's so much in Ezekiel 38 and 39, I can't do it now. So we're going to have a look at this chapter again on another occasion, and maybe on two or three occasions to really study it and understand it. But what I do know is this, this prophecy is going to come to pass. God says in verse 8, Surely it is coming, and it shall be done, says the Lord. This is the day of which I have spoken. And I think that this present conflict is a stepping stone towards it. The one thing about this conflict will be is this. When Russia comes against Israel, that will bring Russia down. I told you there's the source, they are the source of the conflict, the human source. But when they come against Israel and are defeated by God, the devastation against Russia will not only be against the troops in the land, but if you look in verse 6, he says, And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands, <coughs> then they shall know that I am the Lord. This is going to affect as well Russia's homeland as well. Whatever that means, whether that means a nuclear exchange, whether that means judgment from God uh, in uh, weather and things like this, as it seems to suggest more in chapter 38, we'll wait and see. But it's going to put Russia back so far that in the book of Revelation, we don't read of the book of the nation of Russia, the biggest, biggest, mightiest nation in the world. We don't read about her. What we read about is the rise of the Antichrist out of Europe. But that makes sense. That makes sense. Russia has to be defeated so this man can rise and lead the world, as uh, the Bible says. So uh, this will be an interesting thing. I've got a lot more to say about that than uh, you want to hear tonight. (laughs) So let's see the last thing, and this is a word of encouragement. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, we're going to see the sovereign of this conflict. 
2 Chronicles, chapter 20. And I was uh, thinking about preaching on this tonight as well. This was one of my other passages. And I was so taken with this verse in light of the current situation. This is when the Moabites and the Ammonites, which are the people of Jordan, come against the land of Israel in the Old Testament. And the king Jehoshaphat does the smart thing. He brings the matter to the Lord in prayer. And look how he addresses God in verse 6. He said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. The last point I want you to see as we consider the Ukraine conflict through the biblical perspective is this. The sovereign over this conflict is the Lord God Almighty. He is still on the throne and he rules over the nations and none is able to uh, uh, withstand his power and his might. And that's good news, because that means we have one we can pray to about this conflict. I've said many times already, I believe, the reason President Putin hasn't had the success that he would have liked to have done is because the prayers of God's people around the world have been hindering his progress. Let's keep praying. Let's keep praying. Do you know what the Jewish people celebrated this week? Purim. Purim, the feast of the book of Esther, when a madman rose up to wipe out the Jews and the Jewish people prayed. That's all they did. But they prayed mighty prayers. And God brought down Haman and it says in the last chapter, God turned things around. We have a God who can still do that today. He's still on the throne. So let our prayers be heard for the situation in the Ukraine and for the going forth of the gospel at this time. May God bless these things to you as you and I consider what's happening in the news at this time.